the little boy in the family was riding with him. And as they were on their way to the house, he said, Son, what are we having for lunch? He said, Possum. He said, Possum, are you sure? Yeah, I said, I heard Mother say to Dad this morning, if we had to have the old possum, we might as well have him today. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had the old possum today, and we didn't have any possum on the dinner table, but we had an excellent meal, and I'm thankful for that. I'm glad to have the preachers in the audience this afternoon. Brother Rogers is here. I was with them at Smyrna two weeks ago, and he and some of the ones from Smyrna came anyway this afternoon, and we're glad that you came. Glad to have Bill Flatt here, who's a cousin of mine, and of course we've had others that are preachers here, and some of us that think we can preach, and we're just glad to have each one of you. This certain preacher was having difficulty making Zen meet financially. and He saw in the paper that there was an opening for a job down at the zoo. So he went down and told them that he was interested. They said, yes, said the bear died. We don't have a bear. We need somebody to dress up in the bear hide. We skin the bear and we have his hide. We need somebody to dress up in that hide and act like the bear and entertain the children. Well, he needed the money, so he took the job. And he was doing really, really fine. He got to where he felt comfortable, confident, and even jumped up on the side of the cage acting like the bear, and he fell over in the lion's den. And he got up and looked, and a lion was coming right toward him. He said, wait, wait, wait. The voice from the lion said, shut up. You're not the only preacher that needs an extra job. <laughs> but I'm thankful to have all of you here this afternoon. We are dealing with the subject this week, or the theme, that we've called Ten Cups of Love. This morning at Bible study, we talked about the greatest thing in the world from 1 Corinthians 13. And then at worship, we talked about Missouri love. Show me. If you love me, show me. I think God says that to us. Tomorrow night, the first lo lesson will be when love becomes sin. And the second lesson will be the chain of love, based on a popular song, the chain of love. Tuesday night, the first lesson will be tough love. And the second lesson will be if that isn't love. And we have a song in our book entitled to that. Wednesday night, brotherly love, and the last lesson in the meeting, don't stop loving me. This afternoon, our first lesson, and by the way, in most of my meetings, I preach two short lessons. I've found that this works well for me, and when you announce the song, we'll stand between the two lessons and sing a song, and that sort of gives us an opportunity to stretch our legs. The first lesson this afternoon is entitled... Romans are reasons to love. And by the way, did we have the scripture reading? I thought we missed that. I tell you what, let's do. If we can pause between sermons and have a song, we can pause right now and have a scripture reading, can't we? We don't have to be concerned about the order as long as we do what God has told us to do in worship. Come on and read. They'd rather look at you than me. Scripture this evening comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. But scarcely for the righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, thank you. 
That's the lesson text I would have read anyway, and I appreciate you reading that. I want us to think for a few minutes on the subject of reasons to love. We understand how important love is, I think. We understand that God loves us. We are to love God. We are to love one another in our families, in the church, and even in the neighborhood. But why do we love? What's the reason or reasons for loving? I want you to remember three words from the lesson this afternoon, particularly. I believe these are the three reasons that we love. Perhaps all of them are involved in love, and yet one of them, in my opinion, is more important than either of the other two. First, I suggest to you that we love because... We love because of what has been done for us. And we might even think, at least subconsciously sometimes, that I have got to love that person because he loves me. Or I must do something for him or her because they have done something for me. And we might even think that I'm to love God because he loved me. Now, God loved us, according to the passage just read, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't owe us anything. In fact, he almost decided at the time of Noah to destroy the entire human race. Noah found grace in the sight of God, and God uh, came up with a way to save the human race, to save Noah and his family in the ark. And even you boys and girls are familiar with that story. So God didn't owe us anything, and we certainly cannot say that God loved us in the first place because we loved him. That's not the case. He did not send Christ to die for us because we deserved it, because of anything that we had done. God does seek man to worship him, John 4:23 and 24, but he doesn't really need man to worship him or to do anything for him because God is self-sufficient, you might say. But when you consider all aspects of love, there are times that we love because someone has loved us. Sometimes as we're thinking about Christmas presents and what we'll give, we'll say, well, I've got to give him a present because he'll give me one. Or I must give him one because he gave me one last year. Well, that factor's involved, but is that really the best reason that we can have for love? We might invite someone to eat a meal with us because they invited us to eat a meal with them. And even though we might not use the language or say that, we sort of get into the payback form or mode of thinking. He did this for me, so I will do that for him. Sometimes a promotion is given at work because someone has treated us in the right way. It may not really be based entirely upon the facts involved, but because of what someone has done for us, we have a tendency to do something for them. And I'm not suggesting that that's all bad. But I am suggesting that that's not the highest motive that we can have for love. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, The love of Christ constraineth us. 
Now, in that same chapter, he tells us that we need to be Christians to go to heaven, verses 1 and 2. We need to be Christians to miss the torment that God will give in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. But then he says in verse 14, we love because the love of Christ constraineth us. I think there is a sense in which we love God because of the love Christ gave to us. We decide to become Christians because of the love that God has given. And we could sit down today and we could start one, two, three down through the Bible and list all the things that God has done for us. And sometimes when we as preachers are extending the invitation, as we say, we will say, look at what God has done for you. Look at what Christ did for you. Surely because of that you will want to be a Christian. And so we are encouraged to love because of what has been done. 1 John 4.19 says we love him because he loved us. And I think the technical translation of that verse probably should be we love him because, or we love because he loved. In other words, we see the love of Christ. We think about all that he did in his life and especially his death on the cross. And so that prompts us to love. I think as far as God is concerned, we love him because he loved us. We love him because of all the good things that he has done and does do for us. We love because of what has been done in our direction. And certainly even in the church we do that. We have a tendency to love those who love us more than we might love others. We have a tendency to pay and repay which again, I suggest, is not all bad. We are to esteem people highly for their work's sake, First Thessalonians 5.13. And even, uh, Jesus said, even the publicans love them that, that love, love people who love them. And he was saying in that, you need a higher motive than this. There needs to be more involved. But even the publicans love each other because of love going in the different directions. And so I suggest to you in the first place that one of the reasons that we love is because of what has done, been done for us. The second word that I want you to remember is the word if. And there is a tendency on the part of all of us, if we're not careful, to say I will love you if you will love me. I will love you if you will treat me right. I will give you a gift for your birthday if you will promise to give me one for my birthday. I will love you if. There is an element of this that is good. If you stop and think about it, God's love for us, his continued love for us, in one sense is conditional. Because although God is not a respecter of persons as far as male or female or bond or free or Jew or Gentile are concerned, God is a respecter of persons when it comes to righteousness. You may well remember that with Abel and Cain back when they were offering to God in the early part of Genesis, it says that God had respect to Abel and his offering, and he had no respect for Cain and his offering. There is a sense, I suggest to you, in which God is a respecter of persons for the right reason of righteousness. And perhaps there is a sense in which we might be like that, in that we had rather see righteousness than unrighteousness. We had rather reward for that which is good than that which is evil. 
And so the if factor comes in. In John 14, 23, Jesus said, If a man love me, he will keep my commandments. That's a reason for keeping the commandments because of the if that's involved. In James 1, 12, he talks about the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now analyze that statement for a moment. You remember Paul said at the end of 2 Timothy that there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me which the Lord the righteous judge shall give and not to me only but all them that love him is basically what he's saying. There is that crown of righteousness for everyone but there's an if involved. There's a condition involved. He says the crown of righteousness will be given and promised to them that love him. God has just not given out universal salvation. He has just not promised the universal crown of life for everybody, but he says, I'll give you this if. I'll give you a home in heaven if. I will forgive your sins if. And so there is that factor involved with the if when it comes to a reason to love. I was talking to some of the young ladies before service this afternoon, and one of them was talking about wanting a car. And I suspect that there are parents who will say, I will give you a car if, or I will get you a car when you graduate if. You see, there are some conditions involved. The teacher who gives the test says, maybe sometimes it's not really spoken, but it's understood, I will give you a passing grade if. You make a certain score on the test. You see, there is that condition involved. A coach might say, you can make the team and play for me if you're willing to practice and if you're willing to respect me as a coach and if you're willing to do these other things. You see, there's the condition involved and it's an if situation. And I remember very, very well when I was just a smaller boy that my dad more or less said, you can go with me when I go to get a load of pigs or calves if you have your chores done. There were some conditions involved. And so there is that factor in our reasons for love. I think there's a sense in which a husband will love his wife more if she respects him. There's a sense in which she will love him more if he loves her as his own body, Ephesians 5. Children will more likely respect their parents if their parents bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And parents will do a better job of bringing their children up if they honor and obey them. You see, here are some conditions involved. And although I say to you again, it's not the greatest factor that's involved in why we love, I think it is a factor in love. Some of our love is because, and some of it is if. But the third reason that I give you this afternoon, and the one that I want to emphasize, is the word anyhow. If I were putting that into more than one word, I'd use the phrase, no matter what. I will love you no matter what. I think that's the unconditional kind of love that God has for mankind. Though there are conditions involved in the specific relationships, there is a sense in which God's love is unconditional in that he gave it to everybody, and he gave it to us when we were sinners. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That wasn't because, that wasn't if, that was no matter what. That was anyhow. That was because of the love of God that he had for mankind. I think that's involved in our families and needs to be involved in our families so much. The husband is told to love his wife as his own body, 
I think that says no matter what. Husband, you're to love your wife no matter what happens. Oh, there may be some times you don't like her. There may be some times you don't approve of what she does. But he says you're to love her no matter what. You're to love your child. I remember seeing a few years ago a report on television where a woman was being interviewed. Her son had just been sent to prison for many years. And I never will forget the answer that she gave. She said, I do not approve of what he has done, but I love him with all my heart. And no matter how many years he spends in prison, I will still love him as a mother just as much as I do now. That's the any kind of love. There's a passage back in, in Proverbs 10 and verse 12 that says, Love covereth all sins. We could take that passage out of context and make it say something God never intended, and I think some people are doing that today, saying the love of God will just take care of our sins. It doesn't matter what we do. That's not what that passage is teaching. If you'll really look at it, I believe what it's teaching is that real love will cover up a lot of those little trifling things that don't matter. Things that we sometimes take out of context and get them out of proportion and make those little things become like the little leaven that leaveneth the whole lump and cause big problems in our families and in our relationships. But he says love is going to be something that will cover all of this if you will use love in the right way. This morning we saw two passages in the same chapter in Romans 13. Love is the fulfilling of the law. And on the idea of love hangs all the law and the prophets. Jesus even included that when he was giving those two great commandments in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. On these commandments hang all the law and prophets. Why? Because this is the anyhow kind of love that's involved. When we look at others, we need an anyhow, no matter what kind of love. Just a few minutes we'll be talking about the levels of love, which will put this point particularly in perspective. But you know, we need to learn to even love our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good for them that hate you and would wrongfully use you. Along about Matthew 5, 44. Uh, live in love in such a way that you heap coals of fire on their head. The last few verses of Romans 12. That's not an easy commandment. But it must not have been easy for God to love us with an unconditional love either. God does that. He loves us where that all things will work together for good if we love the Lord. Uh, Romans 8.28, you'll notice that if factor is in that verse for those who love the Lord and if we love the Lord. But there's also that overwhelming, all-covering, umbrella type of love that comes from God that's a no matter what kind of love. I don't believe that you and I can ever commit anything that would keep God from being interested in us. Now, he can give us over to a reprobate mind, Romans 1 teaches, when we get to the point that we are so far gone that he knows we will not come back. God is capable of judging that. We're not. But God's going to keep loving us. And haven't you seen and could you not refer to some things that have happened in your life or among people that you've known where it just looked like that a person was gone and could never be brought back to the middle of the road or to what was right, and people just kept on loving him and kept on loving him and kept on loving him, and finally something happened that brought him back in the right direction. That's that anyhow, no matter what kind of love. Let me give you some examples. David had a son, Absalom, who wanted to take the kingdom from his father and who seemingly would have done almost anything to take that kingdom from David. 
Absalom died. You remember the catching of his hair in the tree limb and then being, then dying. And when the person came to tell David about the death of Absalom, you remember what David said? Oh, Absalom, my son Absalom. And basically, when you look at all that said there, David said, I would have gladly died in his stead. Have you thought about that? That's the son that was trying to take David off the throne. But to David, he was my son. Stephen looked out at those who were stoning him to death in Acts 7 and said, Lord Jesus, don't lay this against their cause. That's unconditional love. Jesus on the cross prayed in one of the seven statements that he made on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Same ones that had put the spear in his side, the nails in his hands, the crown of thorns on his head. He said, Father, forgive them. He had unconditional, no matter what love for them. Look at Joseph and his brethren back in the book of Genesis. They sold him into Egypt. But you remember when the reunion was taking place, he was so moved that he had to get away from them so he could cry because he still loved his brethren. The good Samaritan had no reason really to love the man that fell among thieves. There really wasn't a because and there wasn't an if involved. The good Samaritan had not been treated right. He didn't do what he did because. And he probably knew that if he did it, he still wouldn't be treated right. He didn't do it out of if. He did it from a no matter what kind of love. There was a need. He had a love and he used it. I would ask you this afternoon, why do you love God? Why do you love those in your family? Why do you love those in the church, even your neighbors? Somewhat it's because of what's been done for you. To some extent, there's the if involved. If I do this, then I think I'll be treated better. But the main reason that just really must be there in order for there to be the depth and the breadth and the height and the length of love that's needed is to love no matter what. I don't care what you do to me, you say. I'm going to love you. I don't care what happens, how bad it gets, I'm still going to have the feelings of love in my heart for you. And I want to close with this thought. There is not a person on earth that can keep you from having the anyhow no matter what kind of love in your heart. You're the only one that can keep it from being there. Let us stand and sing.